You're listening to Young Honest Mother, the podcast. Here, we'll chat about all things marriage, motherhood, and modern home economics, in all honesty. I'm your host, Maurice Young. Okay, well, thank you so much for being a guest today on Young Honest Mother, the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yay. Okay, so I like to start out by asking a simple yet complex question. Um, And in this case, it is, who is Kirsten? Who am I? Well, let's see. First of all, I'd say I'm a mom um, to our eight months today, actually, old daughter and also um, prior to her coming into this world, I still like to consider myself um, a mom to, um, we have four babies um, that we lost uh, to, you know, pregnancy loss. Uh, And Mm -hmm. I consider myself mother to them as well, even though I didn't get the privilege of mothering them here on earth. So I would say that's who I am, but I'm also, I don't know, I'm a wife to my wonderful husband and kind of like a nutrition geek. I like to think of myself as um, learning all sorts of things about food and nutrition and the lifestyle factors that kind of just go with being a healthy whole individual, I guess. Oh, yay. I love that. And okay, so you've already brought up quite a few things that I'd like to <laughs> to talk more about um, just in that opening statement. But tell me a little bit more about your daughter and how she came to be with you um, eight months ago. Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, we had four miscarriages prior to um, our daughter coming into this world. And our fourth was actually just over a year ago, it was our, our daughter, we named Faith, we lost her mm-hmm. um, early October last year. And it was kind of at that point where we were like, you know, we want to grow our family. And, you know, we, we didn't know for sure, we still don't know for sure that, you know, having a biological child isn't an option for us. But at that mm-hmm. point, we were just like, we feel like we're being led to adoption. And um, so we, you know, kind of at that point stopped trying to conceive biological children. We started pursuing adoption. And, um, you know, this was, like I said, October of last year. And we kind of moved really quickly through the process. And February 25th, actually, um, we met our daughter. She uh, came into our family fast and furious. And (laughs) it's been just such an amazing, beautiful ride ever since. So, yeah, that's she came into our family via adoption, her um, really awesome birth mother gave us the amazing privilege of being her parents. And, and here we are. Yeah. Okay. So this is, I think I thought about this um, as I was getting dressed this morning, but then I forgot. But as you were telling me about your story, I realized that I'm wearing the warrior shirt that you no way. <laughs> um, had for sale during the fundraising portion uh-huh. as you were going into adopting your daughter. Um, and so that makes me wonder, what does the word warrior mean to you? And why did you choose that word to be printed on a shirt? Yeah, so I was kind of, you know, when we were going into the adoption process and thinking about, okay, how are we going to raise the funds? Um, Because it's quite expensive. And, um, you know, we decided we wanted to do a t-shirt. And I was just kind of thinking, okay, like, what message do I want to put out? Because I didn't want just like a general, like, you know, I don't know, something really generic adoption related, like a triangle, and which is, if people don't know, a triangle in adoption represents the three parts of the adoption triad, the, mm. adop- the adoptive parents and the birth parents. Um, I wanted something that could be really relatable to everybody, like no matter what their journey was, whether they also were adopting or were adoptive parents or whether they'd gone through miscarriage or whatever, um, you know, we all have, have struggles in this life, and I wanted it to be something that was relatable to everybody. And so what kind of popped into my head was the word warrior, and it was, like, right at the beginning of our journey um, with um, our parenthood journey, I guess you would say. I um, A few weeks after we lost our first baby, Ellis, we lost him at 14 weeks, and um, I just I felt like I needed to share his story. And so I kind of wrote out... Um, you know, talking about my pregnancy with him and the process of losing him. I shared it on my Instagram and in one of, in the comments, somebody called me a warrior 
Mm. And at the time, I like very much did not feel like one. I felt weak and broken. Like I had failed as a mom, like as, and as a woman too, not just as a mother, but as a woman, like, you know, your body is meant, is like made to carry and birth children. And my body had failed me and I lost my baby. Um, so I did not feel at all like a warrior, but then as we kind of, um, continued to go through, you know, loss after loss and just like the, you know, connecting with other women who had gone through similar things and just like recognizing the incredible strength it takes to carry a child for any amount of time and then like lose that child and get up and keep going in your day, in your life. Um, And so I like, you know, started to really believe that not only these other women going through these things, but myself as well. Like I started to see myself as like a warrior, like I am strong, I am tough, I am capable of enduring really difficult things. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, in, in using that as like kind of for our fundraiser, um, like I said, I wanted it to be relatable to, to everyone. And so it's like, you know, it's not just women who've endured pregnancy and infant loss that are warriors, but like birth mothers like these these women who are choosing to place their children for mm-hmm. adoption to try to give them their best life you know so much that goes into into that and and stuff but i just see them as you know just incredibly strong people not just birth mothers you know sometimes it's birth families birth fathers birth grandparents i don't want to just say the birth mothers but um you know their warriors just women or parents in general, like you, when you're, when you are raising a child in this crazy world, um, you know, that's hard and you're a freaking warrior. So I don't know. It's just like everybody. I, I didn't want it to be just like one single group of people or one single issue that people go through, but just something that anybody in whatever struggles, um, they've had in their life, whatever their life looks like at the moment that they could wear that shirt and see themselves as like, as a strong, capable, powerful individual. Yes. Oh, thank you for sharing that. I definitely get the feeling like when I see myself in the mirror with my warrior shirt on, it is a reminder, a visual reminder, even though I personally haven't experienced pregnancy loss. It's just a reminder that we can all do hard things, Mm -hmm. you know, and that we're not alone while we're doing them. Absolutely. And yeah. so I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit more about what the transition was like for you when you first saw that someone had called you a warrior and you were like, no, that's not me. You know, mm-hmm. I don't feel that way at all to then wearing a shirt loud and proud with that word on it. How, how did you shift your mindset in between those two points in order to arrive at a place where you felt comfortable and confident enough to own your strength? Oh, I don't know. It's not like there's just like one specific moment, right? Where you can be like, this is where things shifted. It was kind of like a journey, like slow and steady over, you know, what, like two years, four losses. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think, you know, I, I think a lot of it comes with like kind of the emotional side of all this, right? Like Mm we, we, I think as a society, especially like you, maybe our generation and like, you know, older emotions, like showing emotions has always been seen kind of as a weakness. Like you're supposed to suck it up, grin and bear it, like whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. you you want. And like, that was kind of always like how I'd seen, um, things was like, I, I always prided myself on being somebody who never cried. Like I thought that was a sign of strength. Right. But Mm -hmm. then you lose a child and there's no amount of strength that you can have quote unquote strength that like can keep you from crying about that. Like it forces you to kind of, to feel the intensity of your emotions because they're just that intense. There's no holding them in. Mm-hmm. And so I think that was kind of also part of where I saw like weakness in myself initially was like, Oh my gosh, like I'm so emotional right now. I can't control my emotions. I'm just like, I'm crying every day. All, you know, everything is making me emotional, you know, and, that was like, I, I initially, I, like I said, I saw that as a weakness and I started going to therapy again, <laughs> regularly. And, um, I, you know, in talking with my therapist and reading other people's stories and kind of just getting more in tune with 
myself, my thoughts, my feelings and all that kind of stuff. Like I kind of learned that showing emotion is absolutely not a sign of weakness. It is the opposite. It is a sign of strength to be able to face what you're feeling in the moment and rather than forcing it down, hiding it and that sort of thing. And so I think it was kind of alongside that realization that I kind of was able to come to the reality of like my own strength as a woman and as a human, like in this whole like warrior thing. Um, yeah. if, that, if that makes sense, they're kind of parallel journeys. <laughs> yeah, no, it does make sense. And I think, so I was really excited to talk to you, but also at the same time, there is this element of wanting to be respectful of what you've experienced and not say the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about how people were able to show up and support you as you were experiencing this. And then perhaps you could share a couple of tips for the listeners and how when they, you know, have a friend or a family member who experiences pregnancy or infant loss, like mm-hmm. how can we be there with our words, with our presence um, in order to support our, our people? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think, first of all, I think kind of like what you're saying where you, you want to be respectful and you don't, but you don't really know what to say. And I Mm -hmm. think that's like a really common feeling, right? Like you don't want to say the wrong thing, but then the problem is, is a lot of people just don't say anything for fear of saying the wrong thing. And I think that's the exact opposite of what people should be doing. I think even if you aren't going to say things 100% quote unquote right every time, it, the most important things is that you just show up and you're there whether physically or with your words. Mm-hmm. So I think kind of moving past that like fear of like having to say the exact right perfect thing is like the, the biggest thing um, because ultimately there's nothing you can do or say that's going to make things okay in that right. situation. You can't fix it. And I know that's like kind of everybody, you know, in our society, everybody wants to like fix it to make it better. You can't, there's nothing you can do to fix it. Mm-hmm. Um, all you can do is just show up and be there. Um, and so I think that's the the biggest thing. And I know there was definitely, um, several friends that I had both in person and, and some, you know, cause we moved so much. So most of my like really good friends don't, uh, live where we live. Um, and so it's, you know, a matter of just like very regularly checking in on me. Hey, how's your heart today? How, you know, not the like generic, like, Hey, how are you doing? Where it's really easy to just be like, Oh, I'm fine. But like truly asking how, how I'm doing, how I, how am I feeling? And like, um, really digging in and being willing to like, kind of sit in the mess of that. Cause I think that's the biggest thing is like, when you're going through these issues, you need people to come in and enter into the mess with you. And that's not an easy thing to sit in. Um, mm-hmm. so, and um, other things that I think were really helpful, um, that people did during the time was, you know, some of our local friends brought us meals and that was incredibly helpful because, mm-hmm. you know, the last thing you want to do when you're grieving is cook yourself food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think for a, for a while, the only food I did eat was like food that people brought me that people made for me. Um, and let's see what else. I don't know. I mean, even like flowers, it seems so generic and kind of just like, a, I don't know, but it really is meaningful to receive, you know, flowers and in, in memory of your, your child and just recognizing that it is a loss, like right. any other, I mean, it's not like any other loss, but it's still a loss. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, I don't know, like any, Anytime somebody says your baby's name, that is a huge gift. And I think a lot of times people are really afraid to use, you know, whether you know, not everybody names their, their babies, um, especially when they're lost earlier on. Um, but when, if there is a name, I think using those, those child, those children's names is, is really, really special as the mother of, of um, that baby. Um, so I think, you know, that in and of itself is, is a gift. Mm. Tell me a little bit more about that. What is it about using the name of the child that really spoke to you? I think it's just, you know, it honors the fact that they, that they're real and they existed. Cause I think Mm -hmm. a lot of times when, you know, your child only lives for, you know, a brief time, like just in your womb, like maybe they never, you know, breathed air outside, um, in this earth. Like it's Mm -hmm. easy, I think for some people to dismiss like 
their realness sort mm-hmm. of that makes sense um like not in necessarily like a cold-hearted kind of way but just you know if you haven't experienced it it's hard to kind of wrap your mind around it but like our babies no matter how long they they lived in the womb or outside or the womb or whatever like they're real and they matter and they exist and I think giving them a name and saying that name it honors that fact um so yeah I think it just it makes it's easy to feel like you don't count as a mom, like your babies don't count when they're lost so early on. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that's the case, even if they're lost, you know, at 40 weeks, I have not experienced that, but um, I think it's, yeah, that people kind of just, they ignore it sometimes. Um, and so when somebody says your baby's name, it's like, yes you're recognizing that they matter, that what I went through is real and it matters that I am a mom, that I gave birth to a child. And I don't know, that's, it's a, it's a special thing. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That that's a really good point. I'm curious to you about how you approached processing the grief. I know that in recent times or in recent years, I've been following you for a little bit now you've been really open and vocal about what you've been going through, but did it start out that way? Were you more wanting to keep things to yourself and to your husband? Like walk me through that evolution. Yeah. Um, so I think like when, when we lost Ellis, I, it wasn't like initially, like I had this, I have to share this sort of revelation or anything like that. I think initially there was some kind of shame wrapped up in my grief. Um, feeling like it was my fault that he lost, that we lost him. And like, you know, nobody wants to, you know, admit that, right? Like that's hard to share. Um, But I think that, you know, kind of a blessing and a a curse, I guess, at the same time of things was that because we were quite a bit further along in that pregnancy, like we were were just the very start of the second trimester, Mm we had, it was like probably what, three or four days actually before we, before we lost him that we had just shared we were pregnant. And so I felt like because I had already shared that we were pregnant, I had to then also share that we were not anymore. Um, and you absolutely don't have to do that obviously, but I felt like I needed to. And I think that that was like a blessing in disguise because, um, feeling like I needed to share that we were not pregnant anymore, kind of opened the door for me to share the whole story and to continue sharing that story. So I think it was, I don't know why I remember this, but it was my dad's birthday um, that I shared Ellis's story, which was I think exactly two weeks after we lost him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was pretty quick that I started, that I started to share. And my husband was always very supportive or he has always been very supportive of me sharing. It's not necessarily like his tendency. Like I think if it was up to him, we wouldn't have necessarily shared all of this especially like to the, to the depth that I, that I do share. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's always been very supportive from the beginning of, of me sharing our story. And I think it's been hugely beneficial for me to share because it is like, it's been so helpful for me in processing our grief. Cause I, I process things by speaking them out loud to a degree, but mo- like writing is really therapeutic for me. And then obviously, you know, you can write things and not share them, but there's something about also putting them into the world that kind of adds like an extra layer of like, I don't know, benefit for me, at least, obviously we all process things differently, but then also being able to see how my sharing my story connected me to other women. And, you know, I've gotten a lot of feedback about how it's like helped women when they've been going through the same thing to have read my story and to know that they're not alone in it. And so then that obviously has been really helpful too, to be like, okay, by sharing my story, by sharing our children's story, like and making a difference in, in the world and people's lives. And even if it's small like that, that's, that's pretty huge. It is huge. It is huge. And I'm grateful for your voice. And I, I'm reminded of something that really struck me um, that I wanted to bring up and share here. So when you were pregnant with Faith and you found out that you were going to be miscarrying, you shared mm-hmm. that experience on your Instagram stories. And mm-hmm. I had never seen anybody talk about that particular experience in mm-hmm. such a deeply vulnerable, raw and honest way. I mean, 
I remember watching, you know, a series of days progress as you were saying, okay, you know, I'm having to choose which way I'm going to deliver the baby. And here Mm -hmm. are the aftercare resources that I have and that I would recommend for anybody who's going through that. I'm curious about what it felt like to be sharing like in the moment as it was happening. And then I'd love to know a little bit more about the responses that you received. Yeah. I mean, I honestly can't say exactly what prompted me to do that. I think it was just like with each, so each, well, our second and third miscarriages were fairly similar, but um, like each, so like we kind of had a different experience with the first one and then the second and third and then our fourth one. And so it was like just recognizing in my own experience, like how different each one could be and how you like, you can't find that information. Nobody talks about it. Right. And like the doctors, most of the time doctors just say it's going to be like a heavy period. And maybe that's the case for some people that has never been the case with any of ours. Uh, it's much, much worse than a heavy period physically and emotionally, obviously. Um, and so I think it was just like, I couldn't find the information that I wanted and needed to be able to understand or have an idea of like what I was going to be going through. Um, Cause with each, which with each of our miscarriages, we found out like via ultrasound, it wasn't like I started bleeding and that's how we found out. So okay. I like, we, we knew it was going to happen before it physically started happening. Um, and so I kind of in that time, like that in between time, like I wanted to be able to prepare myself and I couldn't because you couldn't find that information. And obviously, like I said, everybody's experience is different, but I felt like, you know, if I can share what I'm going through and like what this process looks like for me, having, you know, been through it multiple times at that point, like maybe that'll make it so somebody else won't be in the same position that I was in where they just have no idea what's coming. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think because that's, I think normally how it is, you just, you just don't know. And then it happens and, you know, that that's just how it is. But what was it like in the moment sharing that? I don't know. I, I think part of it was like, I think I was by myself at the time, if I'm remembering correctly. I think my husband is at work. He fortunately has, you know, as crazy as my husband in the army. I don't know if I said that already, but um, as crazy as that can be sometimes, um, we've always had really good support from his like chain of command as far as like giving him time and space to be with me in those moments, which has been amazing. But there still have been times when I've been on my own. Mm-hmm. I think part of it in sharing that was like, I feel like I, I think I almost wanted like some kind of connection in that moment, like support for myself too. And I didn't have anybody home with me besides, you know, my dogs who were great, but, <laughs> um, and so I think that might've been thinking back on it might've been part of the motivation too. It's just like, I needed support and connection in that moment, not just, you know, it wasn't just like a selfless, Hey, I want to help other people, but like, I need help in this moment. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I like, honestly, I don't even remember what I said or what I did, what I shared in the moment. Um, but I, I hope it's helpful for people. Yeah. What was the response like once you did start sharing, like in the moment updates as to how things were progressing? Um, I think I just got a lot of like, you know, we're praying for you. I'm so sorry. Like quite a bit of, you know, this was helpful for me when I went through this. So it was kind of a lot of really helpful back and forth as far as just feeling like I had this community of people kind of coming around me to support me. Mm -hmm. Um, But then also kind of, you know, getting feedback too is like, you know, I'm saying this is what's helpful for me, but also then I could add to the conversation. This is also what's been helpful for other people as well. Um, and kind of adding to the information that I was providing at the time. Yeah. And to that point, I'm not sure if that series of stories is highlighted on your profile or not, but you know, it's been a long time since that was posted. So I think it is. Oh, it is. Okay. I'll, I'll have to, um, I'm going to link to your Instagram profile in the show notes so people can check it out. But yeah, I have a miscarriage highlight and I think it might be on there. <laughs> okay. Okay. For those who are listening, can you share a couple of helpful tips um, for someone to keep in mind if they happen to be experiencing pregnancy loss? Um, I think most importantly, know that it's not your fault that this is happening. Um, cause I think it's easy to kind of fall into that mindset. And I think part of that, part of what's fed into that is just the whole taboo around the topic. But, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I think first and foremost, it's not your fault. Um, and it's okay 
to talk about it if you want to. And it's also okay to, to not talk about it if you don't want to. Mm-hmm. Um, I think just honoring whatever it is you need physically and emotionally in that time is like the most important thing you can do. Um, so yeah, reach out, reach out to people, ask for help. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, yeah, I mean, physically, do you want me to speak to that too? Or yeah, the I'd love, I'd love to hear more about your like physical tips and how to take care of oneself when okay. going through that process. Yeah. Um, I think, so like I said, my experience was not at all, like it was a heavy period. Um, I've never experienced like full-term labor, but from what I've heard from people and, and that sort of thing, like it is, it can be very similar to full-term labor, just kind of on a shorter, smaller scale a lot. I mean, again, and everybody's experience is different, but for mine, it was um, very, very intense. It just didn't last, you know, hours and hours and hours or days, you know, like Mm -hmm. full-term labor can, Um, but it's very intense and very painful. So I think, you know, things that helped me kind of manage the pain was like a heating pad. I did use some essential oils like clary sage, Um, hydrate, I mean, kind of all those things that you would do in, in like, you know, with a, with a full-term delivery, um, they can also be helpful in this situation. You just, you know, also can use things like uh, painkillers that you can't use necessarily right. in uh, full-term labor because obviously there's, there's no concern for um, the health of the baby. So I, I do think with at least one of them, with my first delivery or my first baby it was in the hospital and they like came in beforehand and were giving me the whole rundown of like an epidural because I think that was their plan like they were going to give me an epidural and I did not I didn't use any pain medications that time I felt like I needed to feel every ounce of pain of that um physically kind of to match I think what I was stifling a little bit emotionally I don't know if that makes sense it does um but yeah, but I think, you know, if you, if you need drugs, take some drugs. <laughs> if you don't want to, that's okay too. Um, legal drugs here, right? <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm trying to think what else. It's been a while. Um, pads. Mm-hmm. They're the worst, right? Everybody hates um, pads, but like you're not supposed to use a tampon or any, have anything like up in your vagina for I think it's like two weeks or so. I don't remember exactly okay. after miscarriage. So like I would go when I knew I was going to be miscarrying, I would go to Target or whatever and pick up like the organic, you know, pesticide free yeah. um, pads, the big fat heavy ones. Um, so those are helpful to have on hand as well. Yeah. And I think one thing, sorry to cut you off, but one thing no, that I want to make a point of is that I think it's really easy to think that, how do I say it, that when you're miscarrying, it's going to be completely different to giving birth. And in some ways it can be, but just like you're giving, even if you were giving birth to a full-term baby, you're still going to be bleeding for a while afterwards. And so Mm -hmm. that there's, there's are many similarities in the process um, that's going to take place from what I'm hearing from you. Um, And even though one side of things is not the one that, not the outcome that people are looking for, you still need to be prepared and you still need to go into it with the understanding that your body is going to have to recover from this experience. Mm -hmm. And so I'm glad that you're sharing these, these physical tips with the listeners as well. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think that's something that people don't always understand. It's like, you think it's like, okay, I'm going to bleed for a little bit. You, you know, oftentimes not all the time, but you'll actually like deliver the baby. Like you Mm -hmm. see that you can, you, you, you know, it's, uh, I don't, that's a little hard to talk about, but you, uh, you know, that's often a part of it too. Like, and then you, but then you think it's going to be done. Like once, once the baby has been delivered, then it's over, you're done. Everything gets back to normal physically, emotionally, that kind of thing. And and, then that's really just not the case. Um, yeah, there's usually bleeding for, I mean, it depends for me. It was different every single time. Um, as far as how long the bleeding lasted after the fact, I think it was the shortest. I had one DNC three that I delivered 
vaginally and I had one DNC and I think it was like the quickest after the DNC that I stopped bleeding. But again, you know, everybody's experience is, is totally different, but, and they give you the same advice about like sex, like after, as, as you, when you have, when you deliver a full term baby, it's like six weeks, right? Yes. Um, yes. After you deliver a child. Yeah. It's the same. At least this, that's the advice I was given um, at the hospital um, was, you know, six weeks. So it's like, it is, it's so different, but at the same time, a lot of the things are the same. And mm. I think, you know, it's just kind of dismissed as like, not a big deal on like every level. And it's, it really, it's a, it's a huge deal. <laughs> of course, of course. Mm-hmm. And what is a DNC? You mentioned that a couple of times. Oh, a DNC, it stands for what? Like dilation and cutterage. Basically it's, in, it's when they surgically remove um, a baby from your womb rather than it being delivered vaginally. There's, you know. Is it like a C-section? Um, no, they don't, they don't like cut you open. They go in vaginally. I see. Okay. And remove that, remove the baby that way. So there's, um, you know, a couple different ways there's like the DNC is kind of the really common traditionally done way. There's also like a DNE now, which I think is dilation and evacuation, or it's more of like a vacuum rather than a cutting. Mm-hmm. Um, none of it's pretty or, <laughs> or fun to think about or talk about, but, um, it's just another option. So like for us with my, with our first, we were, because we were so far along, they just sent me straight to the hospital, to the um, labor and delivery unit at the hospital. And I delivered our baby there. Um, and I was uh, induced with um, what's called Cytotec. Mm-hmm. And um, so that, and then with the second and third, I delivered them vaginally, but I did take the medication, <laughs> The second time I didn't take medication for a really long time, but then it was like a month later mm-hmm. after we found out our baby had stopped developing and I still had not passed anything. So I was like still pregnant, but pregnant with a baby who's no longer living. And that is mm. really super hard. Um, so I did eventually take that medication. The third time I was like, I'm just going to take the medication off the bat. Mm-hmm. And again, it still took, even with multiple doses of the medication, it still took several weeks. And so then with our fourth miscarriage, I was like, I'm, I'm just going to have the surgery this time. Like I can't go through the waiting mm-hmm. for things to happen and never knowing when you're going to start cramping and bleeding and, and that sort of thing. I just wanted it to be, to be over. So, mm-hmm. um, there's, you know, multiple ways to have a miscarriage and, you know, no, nothing is right or wrong, you know, Ver, you know, surgical, ver, just like with regular births, right. right? Like, you know, it's medicated, unmedicated. It doesn't matter. It's all beautiful. It's all, you know, birth and, and, you know, it's just whatever works best for you as, you know, mom and dad and, and baby. And it's the same thing with the miscarriage, you know, yes. you just have to do what feels right for you at the time. And there's, there's no shame around any way that you do it. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much, Kirsten, for walking us through mm-hmm. that journey and being so open about what you've experienced. I, I am mm-hmm. sure that the listeners are going to be very thankful and appreciative of everything that you've shared and everything that you continue to share on your, your Instagram and through your writing. Mm-hmm. So in moving on through your story and mm-hmm. being matched with your daughter, Tell me what that was like, because I know it happened really fast. So yeah. walk me through that. Um, sure. Okay. So with the adoption process, you kind of, you know, there's multiple steps. You have your home study that you have to do um, before you can kind of move on toward to the spot where you can start, like they call it presenting to expectant families. Mm-hmm. And um, you have, so you have kind of your home study, you have your profile book, which is your book that is what's being shown to these expectant families, like kind of where they, what they, how they choose from um, like who, which family they want to, to match with and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Um, So we kind of, we had all that done. There was a few other, you know, things in that process we had to take care of. And and basically that's everything you do. And then once all that's done, you're what's called a like quote unquote waiting family is usually what they call it. And so it's at that point that then you start, presenting to these expectant families and you can be, you know, matched at any point from there. So we had, you know, done that whole process, gone through it fairly quickly. And I think it was a Wednesday, I want to say we like 
officially went, it was like Wednesday night. We like got word that we were like officially awaiting family. Um, and Thursday morning, you know, we woke up to several emails in our account. Like both my husband and I both got the emails. He was at work. Um, he used to go to work very, very early in the morning. (laughs) Um, and so we each, you know, we got these several emails with like cases, um, of, you know, expectant families and and their babies that they, they are um, making an adoption plan for. And so, yeah, that was Thursday morning. We, Parker's case was actually the first one we saw. Um, And both of us were just like, this one feels right. Like we want to put our yes in. So we, you know, that morning said yes to presenting to Parker's birth mom and it was like later that afternoon. So it was like maybe 24 hours, less than 24 hours after we quote unquote officially became a waiting family um, that we got word that her birth mom had chose us and oh, wow. she was already born. Wow. Parker was already born a couple of days. So she was born on Monday and this was now Thursday. Okay. Um, and so we got word that she had chosen us and um, in Georgia, there's uh, it's called a revocation period it's basically the amount of time that the the birth family has to uh change their mind Mm -hmm. and so after that so that period ended on monday evening and so it was that following monday so when she was one week old we went to the hospital she was in the NICU and we met her for the first time so it was like crazy whirlwind of a week we went from like not even being officially a waiting family to like being waiting family less than 24 hours later being matched and then four days after that meeting our little girl so it's just wow very wild yes (laughs) but in the best way and as you reflect back on that moment what was it like to meet her for the first time um I mean it was like it was incredible I think there's actually a I haven't shared it I I really should there's a a video because we walked into the to the NICU with um, the like social worker from our adoption agency that works with the birth moms, mm-hmm. um, the birth families. And so she was with us at the time. So she took a video of us kind of walking up to, to Parker's little incubator. And she was, she was like, she was, she was really tiny. So she was born at 31 weeks. And so okay. at this point she was like a week old. She was what, three and a half pounds, okay. little, little one. And, um, So she was, you know, all closed in in the incubator. So we didn't get to like kind of walk up and immediately like touch her and hold her. But like, you know, we walk up and just kind of put our hands on the glass and are looking at it. And it's like, they look at my husband and I'm just like, this, this is our daughter. Like, this is our baby. We have a baby. And it was just kind of this like huge shock, but like in the most amazing way, because, you know, here we are having lost four babies and kind of wondering if this was ever going to happen for us. And then you know, just kind of in the blink of an eye, right? We go from like zero to baby. Um, yeah. It was just kind of, it was really incredible. And I like remember watching the video like after the fact, cause I'm like, I'm like tearing up and whatnot and like looking at my husband, like expecting him to be the same. And like, <laughs> he's not as in touch with his emotions as I am. Not that I'm, you know, great at it. Um, but he's like almost kind of this like statue. Like I think he was just like so in shock and like, but like in a good way, yeah. right? But like he like I think he just like didn't know I don't know it's kind of funny but it in a cute way but yeah it was it was pretty special and then you know the nurse helped at, like got her so that was like the first day that she was able to be held skin to skin mm. so we got to we got to do some skin to skin with her um, shortly after that and that sort of thing so yeah it was it was a very very special emotional time that you know Parker obviously will not remember yeah. <laughs> but we'll tell her about and it and you have the video too <laughs> yes yeah and we that to her video. oh I got chills as you were relaying <laughs> that story oh my gosh what a special moment yeah. mm-hmm. so what have you learned since then like in like you said going from zero to baby you know within a mm-hmm. week um and really expediting that entire process and like she was born prematurely and and having to navigate mm-hmm. that like what have you learned well, I mean, I guess I've just kind of learned that, like, nothing is exactly as you expect, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd already kind of learned that process through our losses. You know, you get pregnant and you expect to, nine months later, come home with a, a living, breathing baby, and that's not ever what happened to us. And I think I kind of expected, like, 
after having gone through all of that and kind of learning the lessons that we learned and things like that, that like we would just be able to go into parenthood and just like friggin' rock it mm-hmm. because we learned all these hard lessons that most people learned like once you're actually parenting a child, but it's, there's still so much <laughs> you don't know. Yeah. Um, and I think, um, I don't know, it's like maybe bad as it is to say, I almost feel like her being in the NICU was kind of helpful. Like mm-hmm. it was hard because here we are finally with a babe, finally with a baby. And I just wanted to bring her home and be able to hold her all the time without having to ask permission and without having to have help and without all these cords she's attached to and things like that. But at the same time, I think it was almost kind of this, like, because we, she came into our family so quickly it, that almost kind of then slowed things down and gave us a little bit of a transition period between like, okay, now we have a baby, but she's not quite home yet and we have all these help this help with these nurses and things like that so I don't know I think we were able to kind of figure some things out and also like you know we didn't have we had some baby stuff at home already in preparation but like we also were able to kind of buy some of the things we didn't have yet because like she had what she needed in the NICU already that was taken care of you know they had everything that she needed um I did bring our own like wipes and, and diaper cream and like things I like that. I hear you. Yes. The <laughs> ingredients in those products that they use at hospitals yeah. are, I'm alarmed every time I see them. Yeah, absolutely. I've heard some stories from people about like their hospital using like better products Ooh. and with better ingredients. And I'm like, yay, that's amazing. But obviously, but I mean, not surprised. We were in Georgia and not surprising that was not the case there. No offense to Georgia, but it can be a little backwards. <laughs> gotcha. Um, but yeah, so we, I mean, fortunately, we did have those kinds of things. And also, speaking of those kinds of things, one of the most frustrating things for me at the time is there are literally no preemie size diapers that are like in any of the cleaner brands. Oh, None. no, I hadn't realized that. None. Yeah. So, I mean, I why would you unless yeah. you need a size diaper? But that was like, somebody needs to step up and make chemical-free preemie size diapers because who needs like the most gentle and safe products more than a premature You're baby. Right. But, oh, that's a huge market. I'm actually surprised that no one has jumped into that space yet, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe there is, and I just didn't find it, but I swear I looked every single like more natural safer brand that makes diapers that I could find. And the smallest anybody had was like newborn sized. Yeah. And that, that could be a huge difference. Cause even Milo, he was born at 39 weeks and he was like six pounds and the newborn size mm-hmm. was like huge on him. So I can only imagine. Right. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, we, we switched her into newborns as soon as we could and they were gigantic on her, but I was like, no more, no more of these nonsense chemical diapers. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Um, But fortunately she, you know, she's, we were so like super lucky that her whole time in the NICU, like she was healthy, right? She just was small. She She needed help. She needed help breathing a little bit at first. She needed help eating. Like she had a feeding tube and stuff like that, but like, you know, we were so lucky because, you know, so many babies in there are just so, so sick. Unfortunately, that wasn't our baby. So it's like, you know, I got to be <laughs> pissed that there were no, you know, diapers that had chem- no chemicals in them right. because, you know, I wasn't, I didn't have to be worried about more serious medical conditions with her. Um, so that was a blessing to you, yeah. <laughs> of course. Um, I don't remember what the question was. I got oh, no, it. Okay. I'm glad we did. But okay. So now I want to know, like, what has your favorite thing been about motherhood? Oh man. Um, everything. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I think like kind of at first, just like, like even when she was still in the hospital, but also when we got home, just like laying her on my chest and just like feeling her like breathe against me, like her heartbeat against mine and just like, truly like just like sitting in that feeling like with her on top of me and like it was such like a special thing because that's what I imagined for you know through all of our pregnancies and we lost our babies and just like that's what I wanted more than anything and then here I was able to just like whenever I wanted like just lay my baby on my chest and I mean not so much whenever I wanted when she was in the NICU but yeah. um I you know just being able to to finally experience that was such a special thing um and now I mean she doesn't just lay still so much anymore mm-hmm. <laughs> she kind of wiggles around and all that kind of stuff but I don't know just like seeing her just like smile at me and like look at me and just like reaching out towards me and just being like I get to be this baby's mom like I love her so much and I see her loving me back and like 
I don't know. It's just like a really incredible, like that bond, you know, I don't know. It's just such a special thing that's like unlike anything else that you experience in life. And I think, um, I don't know, not all of parenting is amazing. A lot of it is, but that, that, that kind of, I think it tops it to, to a degree. Yes. The list. Mm-hmm. Oh, yay. And so as you're navigating motherhood, what has it also been like in navigating the emotions around adoption and then, you know, still honoring the earlier parts of your stories with the losses? Like, mm-hmm. how have you been able to integrate all of those things into your life? Oh, and I've been thinking about this a lot lately, actually, um, especially like in the last few weeks, because like October is Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness mm-hmm. Month, like specifically like October 15th being the day. So that, you know, it was just a few days mm-hmm. ago. Um, so I've been thinking about this a lot. And I, I think that in a lot of ways, I haven't always done a super good job of this. Like, I think that, like, not that I like, you know, have forgotten our babies who are in heaven, like to any degree, obviously not, but like you kind of, it's easy to get really caught up in just like being a mom, you know, it takes up a lot of your time and your, your energy in a, in a really special way. But like, I think I haven't always done a great job of like holding the space for my feelings about anything else, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. Um, and so like on, on the 15th on, you know, pregnancy and infant loss awareness day and whatnot, they, they do this thing called the wave of light where like at 7 PM you light a candle for, I mean, you can light as many candles as you want. Right. Like, but I think the idea is like a candle for, for each baby and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and you can leave the candle lit for an hour. And so I think finally, I mean, I had Parker in my lap, my husband was at class, so he wasn't home, but I, you know, so she was with me and it was kind of this special moment of like finally allowing myself to kind of truly sit in my feelings about like being a mom to Parker, but also still being a mom to these babies that we've lost. And like, I kind of, obviously she's too young to understand, but I kind of like walked her through like, you know, this candle is for Ellis and he's, you know, your big brother who we lost. And you kind of just walking through, you know, each, each of our babies and kind of telling her about them. And I don't know, it was kind of a special moment that kind of brought all parts of our story together, if that makes sense. Um, so yeah, I guess, I guess I have just haven't always done a great job throughout, you know, her whole life of kind of giving myself that space. Um, and I was grateful to be able to have that time, you know, even if it was eight months later to really feel that, feel what I need to feel and, and honor our babies that came before her in that way. Right. Um, like I hadn't been done before. Right. And I, I'm curious too about how, like, I don't, I don't want you to like beat yourself up about that because it sounds like you're a very present mother. And so from the moment that Parker came into your lives, you've also been from what I've seen and what I've heard you say in this conversation, you've been doing such a great job at being there, you know, and Mm -hmm. I don't think that that should count against you, you know, as even though yeah. <laughs> like to me, it doesn't, it doesn't erase or neutralize the fact that you still had four other babies. And mm-hmm. um, I'm just curious about how one would even go about honoring them more, you know, or if that's even mm-hmm. possible because you are there yeah. in the moment with your child who's here and being the best mother you right. can be to her. Right. Right. And I think, you know, maybe that in and of itself is honoring the baby that came before that, you know, their little sibling is getting your, your energy, your time, your attention, your presence with them yes. rather than being, you know, kind of caught up in the past or whatever. Right. Um, I want to say it. Um, and yeah, I mean, I definitely do not always succeed at being a fully present mother, but I, but I certainly, I try. Yeah, I can tell. <laughs> As we all do. You're doing a great job. So, okay. As we come full circle, I wanted to ask a question um, that's really related to living in your truth and how you do that. So what's a recent example of how you live your life in all honesty? Let's see. An example of how I live in my truth. I don't know. I guess like part of that is just like 
being present with my daughter and kind of like, you know, sometimes I don't do the best job as a mom, right? Like we're not, none of us are perfect. Um, and I think for me, like kind of living authentically in that means even though Parker can't fully like comprehend and understand at this time, like talking, like talking to her, being honest with her, like when I mess up, like I'm not trying to hide the fact that I'm imperfect to her. So, you know, I might, you know, I don't know, do something that isn't ideal as a mom and I'll, you know, Parker, I'm so sorry. Sometimes mommy messes up. Mommy's not perfect, but she's always doing her best to, to be your mother Mm. sort of thing. Um, so I think, I don't know, that's sort of how I just try to always be, be honest in my interactions with her. Um, and it's like, I don't know, it's kind of, it's hard sometimes, right? Yeah. Cause like, you don't want to put, you don't want to put your shortcomings and your, you know, mistakes on your child, right. but then you also don't want to put on this facade of, imp- of perfection. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not real. And so it's like kind of finding that like balance between the two. Mm-hmm. And so where can people find you and stay in touch with your journey? Um, so I probably spend the most time by far on Instagram. Um, so you can find me there at um, Vibrant Life Army Wife. Um, that is where I share most regularly. But I do also have a website, same same name, VibrantLifeArmyWife.com, um, where I share little bits and pieces of our journey when I get the, when I get the energy to actually put something into a formal blog post. Um, But there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of stuff on there as well as our journey with, with parenting. Um, I used to do a lot of recipes and and more of that sort of thing that I just haven't had the energy to do anymore, but they're all there. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for your time, Kirsten, and for your Mm -hmm. honesty and sharing what you've learned throughout this journey. Yeah, no problem. I'm, I'm happy to happy to come on here and, and share what I've learned. And that's it for this episode of Young Honest Mother, the podcast, which means it's time for you to join the conversation. Share your thoughts on social media and tag me at Young Honest Mother. And then pass this episode along to friends and family who need to know that they're not alone on this journey either. Until next time, I'm your host, Maris Young. <laughs>